to. Glory to God. Good to see you all. Uh, I want to remind you of just a couple of things, uh, some small groups that are starting up. And so, um, uh, what's it called? I, I, I had it. No, no, uh, Chris's. Godly, biblical, biblical, yeah, biblical citizenship. So if you don't know, uh, really one to get involved in, uh, sign up for that one. I believe it will help us as the church. David Barton, who's a historian of the United States and the foundation of that and the Bible, uh, is, is teaching that and really gives us a perspective on how we live as citizens of the United States, but even more so how we bring that citizenship of heaven uh, into this place. So that'll be awesome. Uh, if you signed up for Life Ablaze, uh, we'll start Tuesday night down there. Uh, I exhort you, whether you're watching online here, if you signed up for that, get the book right now. Read the first chapter. Uh, we only have five weeks in this first half. It's part one. And so uh, we don't want to take a long time uh, making up ground. If you buy the book, it's a thick book. You might buy the book and go, oh my gosh, we're going to go through this. You know what? If you read it, it's going to be awesome. It's an awesome book. But don't also read it and go, you know what, uh, Tuesday afternoon, I'll try to get my chapter read because you'll scramble. Uh, there's a lot to those chapters unless you're a speed reader. Uh, I'm not, but uh, get it now. Start reading. Get the first chapter read. The first chapter is really uh, simple to read, uh, but uh, we're gonna, I believe that we're going to get stirred once again. Our life is going to become ablaze with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It'll be awesome. But if you don't know which one to, to sign up for, I would uh, go for biblical citizenship if I was you, and that would be awesome. Praise the Lord. If you weren't here uh, this morning or weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, uh, as Alan says, we believe that this will be your most prosperous year ever, that you become debt-free and uh, New Creation Church and all its property paid for and more. I believe this is the year we are uh, approaching being in the 700,000s that we owe, and that's it, and we'll be done with everything that we have. Uh, so I believe this is the year that we'll overcome. We so appreciate your giving, all the things that are able to uh, take place because of your giving, things going on in the mission field. Uh, even though uh, people haven't been able to travel, as uh, John said uh, last year, things continuing to go on. So your generosity and keeping our commitments to our missionaries uh, has been so helpful. And so we just appreciate that. We command the blessings of the Word of God upon you, that they will come upon you and overtake you, that my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches and glory, not according to the economy, not according to something else that's been done, but according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen? So we just pronounce that over you. We declare it in Jesus' name. You can go ahead and pass the buckets. Praise the Lord. While they're doing that, turn in your Bibles to Luke, the fifth chapter. I want to uh, begin something that's been on my heart since uh, uh, the end of uh, 2020, and as we were praying and moving through some things and, and looking at a number of things, really, to, to take some time and teach on healing. And certainly as we went through 2020 and, and uh, the pandemic hit and so many things not known and so many things taking place, and uh, again, you can be of whatever persuasion that you want to. I don't think things are just going to amazingly get better. But if we look just a little bit and not in depth, I'm just going to make a statement. If you want to study it out and come and contradict me, uh, feel free. But uh, we saw different things coming into uh, you know, sicknesses and things like polio and things coming, but we see at the same time there was a healing revival that took place where medicine and doctors didn't know what was going on. And we'll cover this as we go through this uh, because there seems to be in the church or word of faith movement, which we are a part. I'm not, uh, we are a part of that. I believe in the word of God. I believe that the just live by faith. But somehow we think that medicine and God conflict. And because of that, so often, we're afraid. We think our confession of faith is, is something, but it's really a confession of fear. We're afraid that somebody might think we don't have faith. We're afraid that, you know, what the doctor's report might be. We're afraid that somebody will think that medicine isn't. And so we're saying, well, I'm not. I'm okay. I'm healed. But it's really we're afraid of what other people will think. And you can't get really any traction if your confession is fearful instead of fully in faith and confidence. 
And so, uh, again, uh, you, we, we've been in, I've heard the teaching. I know uh, uh, from whence we come. And really, no one ever really said you should contradict, you know, the doctors. One thing that we'll see that Jesus, uh, he never got mad at somebody for going to the doctor. I don't know if you noticed that or not. But the woman with the issue of blood had suffered many things for 12 years, suffered many things of many physicians. She wasn't getting better, but she was getting worse. Her diagnosis was progressing, and she heard about Jesus. And when she heard about Jesus and what Jesus was doing, it stirred hope in her. It stirred faith in her heart. She said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. I've been to every doctor. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know that I will be made whole. And so she went out in the public. She wasn't supposed to be out there, but she was determined to touch the hem of his garment. Now, I don't think one thing that we understand that she was weak. She had suffered this issue of blood for so long, and she wasn't getting better. She wasn't getting stronger. She was getting weaker, but yet she pressed through a crowd of people. And I don't know if you've ever been in a crowd of people at an athletic event or something like that where people are pressing in, but it's not necessarily an easy thing to get through a crowd of people. But when she touched the hem of his garment, virtue, the Bible says that virtue or power went out from Jesus. When she touched him, Jesus stopped, and he turned around and he said, who touched me? And the disciple says, what do you mean? There's a crowd around you. There's people all over touching you. And he said, no, really, who touched me? And he turned to the woman and said, it couldn't have been you because you've been to the doctor, and how could you ever have been to those physicians? They're evil, and they're wrong, and they're nasty. And then again, looked around to see who touched him. Now, if you don't know the Bible, you're thinking, really, he said that? No, that's not what the Bible says. <laughs> right? My point is Jesus, knowing, right, she told him the whole story, knowing that she'd been to many physicians, didn't say, well, those evil people, you should have never been there. We never see Jesus even addressing that issue. See, God's plan is healing. Certainly, there's in every area of life, there's error, there's things that are going on, there's things that are happening, but God didn't give people who study the wisdom of the human body and understanding of what sickness and disease was doing. I mean, the devil didn't do that. God did that to help us. Why? Because he knew that we would come in and there would be an attack on our body and we wouldn't be fully uh, in, in different places and, and that. So he wants healing no matter what. He just wants us healthy. And if we begin to understand one of the most despicable things that the enemy did when he took control by deceiving Adam and, and getting that place, uh, really receiving their faith and, and getting power in the earth, one of the worst things, most despicable things that the enemy did, and he knew it, was to bring sickness and disease upon the human body. Because God created us. And you can do some study. We've sat with some doctors. But when God created us, God created us so unique. And God created our bodies to fight off things that would try to come against it. He created you in such a unique way for your body to be such a unique creation in how it would operate, how it would strengthen itself, how it would uh, fight off sickness and disease by releasing through joy and through expectation and through faith and through peace, release things that would fight off. We heard one doctor say this, that, they, that you're made to release killer cells, not to kill you, but to kill anything that would come against your body, killer cells. And he says, when we all of a sudden start thinking negatively and we start worrying and we start getting fear and stress, that it blocks those killer cells and releases chemicals that are detrimental to fighting off sickness and disease. And so one of the most despicable things that the enemy did was bring sickness and disease on the scene because now of sin, he had rule to destroy the human body, to plague the human body with pain with distress, with anxiety, to plague the human body and cause our life to be concerned about whether we were going to make it another day instead of knowing that tomorrow is set for us with a future and a hope. And once we begin to see and understand and hate 
the process of sin and what it does in, in inflicting things upon the human body, the quicker that we'll understand God's design concerning healing the human body. There's something else that we'll take note of as we go through this that you'll see that other than in uh, Mark, the, I think it's the sixth chapter, I, all of a sudden I just drew a blank. But Jesus was in his hometown and he was preaching. And they were like, man, alive, this, this guy, is he's speaking some powerful, powerful things. And then somebody elbows and says, yeah, he's speaking powerful things, but you know who he is, don't you? You know who he is. He's Joseph's kid. He played with our kids. Who does he think he is bringing these powerful things of the kingdom of God to us? And it says that in that place that Jesus could do no mighty work there, says he, was, he marveled. He marveled at their unbelief. After they had known him and seen him grow up as a child, which really he might have played with the kids, but he wasn't the same as the rest of the kids, I guarantee you. Right? He wasn't a rambunctious young boy that went throwing rocks through windows. Right? Because though he was tempted in many points as their sons were, he did it without sin. That's how he grew up. He was different. They saw that. But it says that he could do no mighty work there. He marveled at their unbelief. But he never corrected them for the unbelief. He never said, you just don't have enough faith. He went and taught in their cities and their villages to grow their understanding of who he was and what God had planned for them. We see very few places except for with the disciples who he was training, who he was learning in the things because they were about to take and build the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see from time to time that he told them, how is it that you have no faith? He was addressing their faith, and that faith was like, God, you're going to let us die out here. And he said, what? I wouldn't let you die out here. How is it that at this moment your fears, you have no faith? There was times that they asked questions of their hardness of heart, and he said, oh, you have little faith. But Jesus never reprimanded that I could find, you might find it, but that I can find anyone who came to him that was sick and said, well, the problem is, the serious problem is, is you just don't have enough faith. But yet in the body of Christ, we're addressing people because we don't understand. And I believe this with all of my heart, and we want people well. Listen, if anybody's ever offended you by saying you don't have enough faith, just throw that offense off. That's of the devil. I don't believe anybody ever said that you, you need to grow your faith for healing because they wanted to offend you. They want you to be healed. There's a connection with the level of teaching that we have that if you grow your faith, you'll have healing. We may run across that even now, and I don't want you to be offended. If we grow our faith in the things of God and what's been provided, we access the power and the grace by faith. But the idea of looking somebody in the eye and say, the problem is you just don't have enough faith is not the compassion of God. Jesus was compassionate. He was stretching out so that people could be healed. Not so that people could feel condemned, but they could be drawn in and they could be healed. So I just want to settle that as we, we get into this, that we're, we're not like, don't be a, you know, say, well, I'm not going to tell anybody I'm believing God, but I, I'm afraid of the doctor. I'm afraid people won't think I have faith. I'm afraid... You'll never get anywhere being afraid of what people will think or whether or not the doctor's report will be good or bad or whatever. Fear doesn't get us in that direction. Faith does, right? And if we just don't know what's going on, thank God, sometimes you don't know what's going on and you might be afraid, but the doctors take an x-ray and they say, we could tell you exactly what's going on. And it's helpful to pinpoint and say, that's what's going on. Now I, now I know I have enlightenment. I'm going to target my faith right on that right? And so the idea of being fearful, the idea of telling people you just don't have enough faith, right? We just need to get over that and realize that God wants us healed. He wants us strong and he wants us healthy and whole. And if somebody is wanting to pray for you and says, you know what, just, just get faith. If you're talking negatively and you're talking like, oh my gosh, it's going to be terrible, they're just trying to say, listen, watch out because what comes out of your mouth detects what's in your heart. And we want to turn that thing around. But we want to be careful how we do it, and we want to be careful how we respond to it. And I told you this, you know, when he was going through it. But it so impressed me, the word of the Lord that took place when Pastor Craig was in the hospital, and uh, so many things were going on, and so many things, that reports were coming back uh, to Sharon that, you know, things weren't going correctly as they ought to. And such a great opportunity for offense 
and to be upset. And the Spirit of God said, don't let this hinder his healing. The thing is, we get to places, people say things, people do things, and if we're not careful, we get offended. And the devil wants you to be offended because that's one thing that will enter in and disrupt the healing flow. There are things that we can let in that will disrupt a healing flow into our life. And so we have to be careful when we talk to people and the compassion that comes forth. The Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion and healed all their sickness. He was moved with compassion. He looked at the leper who came to him who didn't even know that he was willing to heal him, and he saw that man in his wondering, was Jesus even willing? And it says that Jesus was moved with compassion. As we learn more about the healing power of God and what God wants to do concerning that power that he's released into the earth, there should be something, not, not a place where we feel like, you know what, just let me add him, I'll pray for him. There should be something that moves us that is compassionate. Not a trying to make a judgment, you have faith or you don't have faith, and this is the reason, but something of compassion should move us, and I believe that compassion will be an opening to release the power of God through you. There's something in that believing that these signs will follow them that believe. 17 years old when I realized that I got saved for something more than just going to heaven. One of the first scriptures that uh, Brother Mark Brzee taught me as my youth pastor is he, in Mark chapter 16, and these signs will follow them to believe. He said, who he believes uh, uh, will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow them that believe. And he got to the point that they'll lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. That just caught my attention. I'm like, seriously? At 17, you can lay hands on the sick and the sick can re recover. And just that believing, just that simple childlike faith, that simple childlike believing, I began to lay hands on people and they began to recover. And I was like, this is the most awesome thing in the world. This is crazy stuff. And then, you know, just from time to time, not somebody doesn't get healed. You know, you get on a run and it seems like everybody you're praying for is getting healed. And then you pray for somebody and doesn't. And it'll knock you back just a little bit. What happened? What changed? Right? Did I come into contact with kryptonite and lose my superpowers? You know, what happened? At 17, you start to wonder, but if you start to, what God was trying to do is just, it's about faith. It's not by what we see or what we feel. It's by what we believe. You take that childlike faith, and I believe that God wants to stir us once again to a childlike faith. I don't believe that we're just, all of a sudden, things are going to go away, but we're going to see different things crop up. And I believe that really not just based on something out here, but through prophecies that have come up about the last days and understanding those things, that part of the last day's move of God to usher in the return of Jesus Christ, there will be a renewed healing revival. Come on, a renewed healing revival. But it won't be necessarily like the healing revivals of the 40s and the 50s that took place where a tent was there and there was a healing revivalist, but that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Tommy Hicks uh, uh, prophecy said that Jesus, the church would rise up, and then he saw as the church rising up as one body, then it went back down, and, and, and ditch diggers and water washers and people of all facets had that, this power of God, and they were laying hands on the sick, and the sick were recovering, and there was power going forth from them like liquid light. There's something different. It'll be a healing revival that will take place in your home and in the place where you go and the people that you meet and the people that you run into. There'll be a healing revival that will take place by the anointing of God on believers. When we gather together with that anointing, there'll be, tent, there'll be meetings like tent meetings where there'll just be a supernatural flow and healings will take place and things will happen, but it'll begin to happen so that it happens out there where you live and in your family and what's going on with you. But it'll never just happen. The body of Christ will have to believe. We'll talk about those things about believing. Again, when I say that, you're, oh, there, here comes this faith thing again. No. It's just the just live by faith. And how we begin to understand and we begin to operate in these things is very important to us. And I want to say this because we've seen healing, we've heard about healing, we've understood healing. At the same time, you can understand this, whether it's 
uh, a minister that comes or the word that we've heard or the scriptures that we have, we've heard this, he, this phrase. And in fact, last night when I was praying, we were praying for the church, we were praying for some things. It just came up in my heart. Familiarity breeds contempt. We're praying about a move of God and moving forward with the word of God. He said familiarity breeds contempt. And contempt really is defined like this. I want to make sure I get it right. It's a real short definition, but I just want to get it right. Uh, this aspect of it, it means uh, contempt is a lack of respect or reverence for something. So if you've been around and you've heard 1 Peter 2.24, by his stripes you were healed. If you've heard Matthew 8.17, which we'll go over these, Matthew 8.17, he took our infirmities and he bore our sicknesses, and you've heard them, there's a chance that you have become familiar with them. There's a chance that you've lost reverence for those holy words that are written down and spoken. That in that familiar, you've kind of said, yeah, 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 I know that. And in that, you've disrespected or lowly esteemed that word. And without that respect and esteem for that word, it does not contain power. Jesus in Mark chapter 7 addressed them. He said, you've become traditional in your thinking about what God said. And your tradition has made the word of God ineffective or rendered the word of God powerless in your life because you've become traditional with it. And so my prayer is that God stirs us. I mean, I know I'm going to do a, a small group called Life Ablaze, but it's not the same thing. I mean, but that God begins to stir on the inside of us a fresh understanding, a fresh fire, a fresh anticipation I'm saying that for me as well as you because I know that God has spoken to us about this place, certainly about the body of Christ, but I know about this place that it would be a place of healing. And as we go through this, I know this already ahead of time that we'll address some things and you'll say, okay, so then why? If that is true, then why? Why didn't this turn around? Why did this not happen? Why did that not happen? And we have to be very careful about that, not that God's afraid of why, but we have to understand some things about where we want to go and what we want to do and what we don't want to necessarily keep asking why. What we want to do is have our ears open to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. Because if all we want to know is why, why then, why then, why then, we can run into the place that we're going to see here in Luke, the fifth chapter. So open your Bibles there to Luke, the fifth chapter. We're going to launch off on this and at least stay with this for a few weeks as we begin to talk about healing and the restoration of that. I just wanted to introduce that. I, I hopefully, my goal is to put you at ease a little bit. We don't want tension. We don't want people walking out and going, well, that message, I guess he's just saying I don't have enough faith. No, that's not what we're saying. Well, I, if I go to the doctor, people are going to think there's something wrong with me. No, but we do want to walk in the power of God. We do want to see things that even if you have a diagnosis, that there's something in you that says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. Come on, if I could just get through. And although we might not have Jesus walking down the street in crowds that make it hard to get to, we do have Jesus present, yet there are so many things crowding our mind, so many distractions in our life, so many emotional things that begin to stir that touching the hem of his garment purely makes it difficult for us and we have to understand that we have to get through all of that to get straight to the matter of fact that there is virtue there is power present for me to tap into and when i tap into it it's released into my body to make me whole so in verse 17, he says, now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. Now you want to highlight this or underline this. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. I believe right now, and I'll explain why if I don't get to it tonight over the next few weeks, that the power of God is present right now in this place to heal. 
And we'll explain how the power can be present to heal and nobody get healed. But I believe, at least in part, that what was going on here, because we see it, and I'm not just fabricating it, but I'm, I'm, I'm just working to explain some things as, we, as I introduce this message. But here, as we look at this, it says, listen, they're in a room here, and there's people, there's religious people packing this room. And the power of God is present in that room. In other words, the anointing is present. Jesus, the living word of God, is right there in their midst. And what's going on? Are people getting healed? No. They're sitting there asking him, well, if you're the son of God, why? Why is this happening? And if you're really the son of God, then why don't you do this? And if you're the son of God, why are your disciples eating on the Sabbath day? And if you're the son of God, why do, the law says this, and why do you do this? And the law says this, and why do you do that? And they're asking a whole lot of whys if you are who you are, but nobody's getting healed. And I just want you to see that and be careful as we talk about this, because I already know you're going to go, well, then Why? say, how do you know that? Because I asked that. And I can tell you right now, for the most part, and because of this, I've had, I've had some of the closest people to me die after we prayed for them. And if you think I just went on and went, okay, sirrah, sirrah, then you don't know me. Broke my heart, I grieved over it. I know the power of God to heal. I don't know why they didn't get healed. I expected it. But I can tell you that I never have received the answer that I wanted as to why. All I was brought back to is to know that he is today and always will be the healer. And to get into the whys, it says there's some things reserved for God to know. But the things that have been revealed to us are for us and our children to listen and to walk in and to obey. You can ask all day why something happened, and God may never reveal it to you. Why? Because it's none of our business. It'll be between them and God. And if they're Christians, they'll probably stand before Jesus when they slip out of this body and not even ask. <laughs> Because we see through a glass darkly, but all of a sudden they slip out of their body, and there they are, face to face. To be absent from the body is to be present, from the Lord, uh, present with the Lord. And I just guarantee you that there's some things you think you're going to ask Jesus that you will never ask him. <laughs> for, for one of two reasons. It won't matter at that point. And two, there will be things that will be revealed in the light of his glory that you'll say, I don't need to ask the question Oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't see that when it was so plain. So I'm just asking us, knowing that that will come, let's don't get up, caught up in the why then, but let's say, you know what, you have a future and a hope for us. That there's a revival and there's a place. As we learn about this and you say, I truly believe I'm getting that, and you lay hands on somebody, you're expecting healing, but you don't know everything. So don't back off. I'm telling you from somebody that, that God's dealt with because things happened and I backed off. And I know I wasn't supposed to. It's taken me a long time to come back to a teaching on healing that I'm going to spend some time with because things happened. And though I believed, I backed off and said, you know what? I just don't even know if I carry this anymore. And he said, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. I need you to step back into the place that I've called you to. And so there's things that will happen that will cause you to draw back. But God has no pleasure in those who draw back. But those who by faith press in to the saving of souls. As we're looking at, we understand that there's an aspect of that saving of our soul. Salvation. Saved. Healed. Delivered. Set free. Made whole and prospered. So we begin to talk about healing for our physical body. We need to equate and we'll begin to understand that faith for salvation is the same faith appropriated for healing power. It looks different in its dynamics, but how many of you have ever prayed, have, how many of you have prayed the prayer of faith to be saved? Keep your hand up. Everybody get your hand up. If you're not saved, we'll give you time for an altar call. Now, 
No, don't put your hand down. Come on now, stay with me for a moment. How many of you, even though you prayed that prayer of salvation, believe that you're going to hell? How come? I mean, time has passed. Haven't you still made mistakes and sinned after you prayed that prayer? Oh, but you have a firm belief that even though I've made mistakes and I'm not perfect yet and things haven't turned out yet, I'm still going to I'm saved. But why is it then when we pray for healing and we don't immediately sense change, we think that must not have worked? We'll look at it a bit that even when Jesus talks about laying hands on the sick and the sick will recover, though we see instantaneous healings, He's really talking about the power of God going into somebody and beginning a process of a healing and a cure. See, we want relief of symptoms right off the bat, but God wants something bigger. He wants to not only relieve the symptoms and heal what you're dealing with, but actually by the power of God bring a cure so you're never hindered with it again. So he's working a process, like he always does, of fullness. And we don't want to short-circuit it by saying, you know, that didn't work. You, don't sh- you, you would short-circuit your salvation and living and moving towards righteousness and the growth of righteousness if you said, well, you know what? And some people do this. They're like, I got saved, but I made a mistake today. And all that condemnation and all that guilt and shame comes back on them, and they feel unworthy, and they feel like they didn't even get saved from the first place. But what would you minister to them? That you need to get born again, 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 again? No, you come back and reassure them everything's not different, but just go to him and ask for forgiveness because you're saved. You are saved. And so in some ways, I go back and forth with this to understand that if we appropriate that same level of faith that we're really, we're not transformed, we're just getting to heaven. That might be why our faith concerning healing isn't so uh, strong because we're, we're not really allowing our faith in salvation to transform us. We're just hanging on. But when we know that we've been saved and our life is changed, for those of you that have been saved for four or five years and you say, literally, I'm not there yet, but things have changed since I've been saved. That means it's a process that is working out from glory to glory. You say, well, I plan on being here for 50 years, so I got time to change. But if sickness hits my body, I don't have time. And so we get anxious about it. We get afraid. And we don't just look and say, you know what? The moment I laid claim to that healing, healing began to work in my body. And I'll stay with it until I see the manifestation. Because faith creates the expectation, but faith also sees it through to the manifestation. Hebrews 11.1, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Amen? So we'll get into all those things. I know you will emotionally. You'll get into things, and you'll begin to ask, well, what about this? And So if healing is true, then why do I still feel this way? Well, I got prayed for that day, and and I'm still not healed. Well, see, that's the question we have to ask. Where did we get to that place of saying I'm still not healed? If hands were laid upon me, and the power of God went into me, then why did I abandon that? And if you're going to a doctor or you're taking medicine... Faith doesn't necessarily say, well, i got to throw that medicine away to prove that I'm healed, unless God was to say that. You can look at that medicine and still say, in the name of Jesus, healing is working in my body. And at the point you don't need that medicine anymore, you know the manifestation has come to pass. And you and only you can determine. And I, I encourage you, don't just tell somebody, well, I, just, it's just, I can determine myself. Because you get haughty about that, you get into places. But you and only you can determine whether your faith is in medicine or your faith is in God. And to say my faith is in God doesn't take medicine out of the equation. You can still take medicine and have faith in God. Now, I know that's going to rub some people the wrong way, but I believe that it's true. As we look at that, we measure that and say, you know what? The more faith I have in God, the less faith I have in medicine, the more I'm seeing results take place. 
But if I just discount that because of fear of not having faith, if I have medicine, or, or somebody says, you know, the Lord told me to take off my glasses and crush them, and when I did, I came out seeing. Well, that was a special instruction of the Spirit of God. You might throw your glasses down and crush on them uh, and never come away seeing. Say, well, why did it work for them and it didn't work for me? Well, it's not about healing working. It's about God told them he didn't tell you. It's really actually about faith working. They had, their faith had to obey God to take that action. But then you say, well, maybe that'll, do, maybe that'll work for me. Well, maybe that'll work for me isn't faith. Right? Somebody says, well, you know, I was going through this and I was praying. And God said, you're healed. Throw away your medicine. And the moment they did, everything transformed in their body. So people go throw away their medicine thinking that's faith. If God didn't tell you, it's not faith. You're hoping that what somebody else did will work for you. But we want to establish a foundation of faith. Understand this. You say, well, I don't know if I'll come because I don't know, you know, healing. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good right now. Well, listen, the same, when we talk about it, it's the same. If you're bound by worry or stress, if you're bound by any substances, if you're struggling in any way in your life, faith concerning what Jesus has done applies in every single way. We're just going to talk about healing for the physical body in, this, in these next few weeks. All right? So you all with me? Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. They were all gathered together, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Everybody say them. We want to see that because we see one person get healed. It doesn't say the power of God was present prophetically to see that they would bring one man, and that one man would be healed by the power present. No, he said the power was present to heal those Pharisees and teachers that were sitting in that room with Jesus. There was power to heal them. Verse 18, it said, then behold, men brought on a, a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, because of the crowd, highlight that underline that, because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. We'll see over and over again, this crowd endeavored to keep more people from Jesus and probably did keep more people than we'll ever imagine from Jesus. But whether it's the woman with the issue of blood whether it's Jairus and his daughter, whether it's Bartimaeus next to the road, the crowd was always trying to keep these people from Jesus. There's a crowd. There's a crowd of expectation. There's a crowd of fear. There's a crowd of thoughts. There's a crowd of emotions that will try to keep you from touching Jesus. There's a crowd of people. Sometimes it's like, I'm not going to go to church because I'm feeling bad. I'm going to stay home. Yet the power is present right here to heal. But I'm not going to go because of what people are thinking, where I have to sit, or how it will be an inconvenient thing. And that crowd and that situation is keeping you from saying, I'm getting to the place where the power is present to heal. Come on, these people would not be denied. And it would have been very simple for them to come to the doorway and say, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, our friend is sick. Could somebody clear the way? They weren't clearing the way. They were asking Jesus questions. They were Pharisees and teachers. They were trying to put Jesus on the spot. We don't have time for somebody who's sick. And they could have said, these people, these religious leaders, these teachers, they don't care about us. We're just taking our friend back. That Jesus, he should have come outside. They said, no way. Our friend's healing is in there. And we're getting it. Come on. Every now and then you need four crazy friends. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Come on. So they sought how they might bring him in. Verse 19, and when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd... They went up on the housetop, and they let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, come on, our faith can be something that can be seen. He said, when they saw their faith, he said, man, your, man, your sins are forgiven you. 
And the people in the room went, oh, who do you think you are? That's just my paraphrase. I better read it out of the New King James. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? Come on, God will do stuff that we're like... And we wonder, well, why is it not happening for us? And we're just talking about clearing out our heart. But Jesus, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, I mean, it could have been super supernatural. They could have been sitting there very calm, cool, and collected, never making a sound. And Jesus went, I know what you're thinking. I believe he said, I know what you're thinking by the moaning and the groaning and the, and the pshawing and the... <laughs> I get it. You don't think I should be able to do this. So he answered and he said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin, he said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. I mean, there's some things in here. I use my imagination a little bit. It might not be your imagination, but it amazes me how people are, right? He's sick, and he wants to get in, and he can't find a way in the crowd to get in, so they lower him through the ceiling. Now, I'm, I'm not sure we'll know when we get to heaven, but I'm pretty sure by reading this that when Jesus said, rise, take up your bed, and walk, he didn't get up and grab his bed and ascend through the ceiling from which he came. He rose, he took up his bed, and apparently all the people who were shoulder to shoulder not letting them in stepped aside and let him walk out. Listen, there's some things when we learn uh, who Jesus is and the power of God that we've closed off to not let in that all of a sudden we'll open up and we'll let it out. And it'll begin to affect many people around us. So F.F. Bosworth said this. If you've been to Bible school, you know this. You've read this book. But he said this. He said, faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith begins where the will of God is known. So the body of Christ, even though we've been familiar with some healing uh, scripture, some people in the body of Christ haven't. They still are told that healing has passed away. And if you don't know that it's God's will to heal your body, you can't actually have faith in God for healing if you don't know that it's his will to heal your body. Healing and tapping into the power of God for healing is not a hope so, think so, maybe so kind of thing. We'll get into it. You say, well, what am I going to do then? Because I don't know. Thank God for the anointing. Thank God for the power of God. Thank God for mercy. But for us to walk in that place of faith, tapping into the power of God, we must know that it's God's will to heal us. That healing was encompassed in redemption. And to answer those questions about those things. And so he said this subsequent to that. He said, the power of God can only be claimed where the will of God is known. So we want God to move in mighty power, but you tap into the power of God by faith. See, grace is one aspect of talking about the power of God, the empowerment of God. I like what one minister said, grace makes it all available. Grace makes the power of God available, but faith makes it possible. And so the power of God was present to heal them, but everybody wasn't getting healed. Why? Because something needed to grab a hold of that power. Something needed to plug into that power. We could turn all the lights off in here, but power is still present in these walls. Power is still present in these walls, but we're not tapping into it for the lights and for the air conditioning. But it's still present to heal. It needs the switch turned on. It needs a plug plugged in. And so the power of God can be present, but it needs the switch of faith turned on or the power of faith to be, the plug of faith to be plugged in, something to tap into that power, to draw that power from where it is into our lives. And there's so many things that make that work effectively and efficiently. You know, Jerry taught us months ago the electrical side of purity and how power flows so much better through pure metal, and those conductors. 
And so as we walk in it, we'll find some times where we're not, you know, our life isn't where we know it should be or our faith isn't where we, and it's kind of like it's not flowing like it was before. But we can come back to that place, not with condemnation, not with guilt, not with work, saying if I could just do this better, it would work better, but just from an understanding and a purity of heart. A desire for that pure relationship with God. That in that, that compassion and that healing power will not only come and be able to tap into my body, but it will be something that flows through me to those who are infirm, those who don't know him. I love what Brother Hagin used to always say, that healing is the dinner bell for salvation. Why? Because healing so shows the goodness of God. The people who don't know if he's Savior or Lord, all of a sudden he moves and heals their body. And things begin to happen. We saw Muslims in the Philippines saved. They would come backstage because they didn't want anybody to see them. But they, they would ask about Jesus, and there was a healing anointing, and, and, and they would get healed right there. And then they would make Jesus the Lord of their life. To dinner bell to salvation. There's people out there who, who, who will debate the word with you over and over and over and over again. But as, as an anointing comes, we'll allow that anointing to heal the sick to flow through us and say, just let me pray for you. And the power goes in and they're healed. That's hard to say, well, now wait a minute. You can debate scripture and theology. It's really difficult to debate the power of God that just went in and healed your body. Say, so, wow, something just happened. Come on. And so as we understand and we know that it's God's will to heal, and again, I'm just covering some of this. We'll go back to it, Exodus chapter 15. And God says this. I'm just going to put it in one phrase. We'll look at what he said. He said, I am the Lord that heals you. I am the Lord that heals you. And all those names of God, he would say, I am. I am the Lord that heals you. I am the Lord your shepherd. I am the Lord your righteousness. When they said to Jesus, who do you think you are? Abraham talked to us about this, and Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. What was he saying? I am the Lord your righteousness. I am the Lord your healer. I am the Lord your healer. And so he expressed the will of God, and is, we have to determine whether or not because we believe in salvation. You all raised your hand. We believe in salvation in the way that we see salvation, but the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus paid for our physical healing the same time he paid for the forgiveness of our sin that we might be saved. Turn over to Isaiah 53. I'm going to end with these three scriptures. Are you all all right with this? Yes. Praise the Lord. I just know this, that when I begin to hear that Jesus was the healer, that healing power could be manifest if I would believe, I got so excited and, uh, you know, almost, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't spooky. But I remember the first time just after hearing that and sitting in youth group and Pastor Mark talking about faith and these scriptures about those who believe that, uh, you know, at 17, I'm in my locker. I have my head in my locker and the girl next to me, her head's in the locker. She's just like, man, I have a splitting headache today. I'm not looking forward to the day. And I don't know why. I've just been listening to the word. I've been going to youth group. And I stuck my head around there and I said, you know, if you let me lay hands on you, God will heal you of that headache. And I really didn't know what I was talking about. I just heard, if you believe, you lay hands on the sick, the sick will recover. I mean, I, did, I just rededicated my life. I was on fire about what I was learning. And so I just prayed for her in Jesus' name. Uh, I believe God wants to heal you. And so I prayed for that. And I did it. And I stuck my head back in our locker. And all of a sudden, I hear, whoa. I said, what? I said, my headache's gone. I wasn't a man of faith or power. I was like, okay, then. This stuff works, man. This works. And so somebody gets sick, and I just say, you know, I'm just going to pray for them. I remember uh, one time uh, my uh, girlfriend's uh, little brother, uh, he fell, and, man, he smacked his nose, and he's up there. His nose is just like, uh, I mean, it's bleeding profusely. And all I could remember, there's somewhere, I think it's in Ezekiel, where God stopped up the flow of blood. I was sitting in a service. Somebody came, and they talked about how God could stop up a flow of blood. I don't remember where it is to this day. I don't know. This is how gracious God is with childlike faith. And his, his nose is just bleeding like crazy. And so I just go over there to pray for him. I put my hands on his head, and I said, somewhere in the Bible, in Ezekiel, wherever it is, you says you stop up the flow of blood. So we command that in the name of Jesus. His nose stopped bleeding like that. I'm just like, okay. This stuff is real. God's word is true. 
So why doesn't it happen all the time and every day? Well, I've already told you that, right? Came upon somebody that was working and really, really seemed to be working seamlessly. And I prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed. And it damaged my faith. Because my faith wasn't that strong. I mean, I was just, I was rolling. But then it was, why didn't? Why, 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 why didn't? And, and I felt like, oh, well, this is a reflection on me. See, when it gets to be a reflection on us rather than Jesus, it begins to be hindered. So I navigated that, started seeing, seeing healings again. Then you come on to the place where I'm going to pray for somebody, and they don't make it, they die. And unless you're strong in faith, it'll knock you back a few steps. could also make you feel like you got run over by a truck, <laughs> spiritually. But God says, you know what? We're the getting up people. Right? I love Joe McGee says that over and over and over again. Christians are getting up people. We fall down, but we always get back up. And so I know that it's real. I've sensed the healing power of God. We've seen immediate healings. I'll just tell you right now, we have a stack, I have a stack of testimonies about prayer, prayer clause. I'm just telling you where we're going as a church, and you can agree or not. But God started doing miracles through prayer clause when I was knocked back because of things that happened concerning healing. So I'm just praying over prayer clause, not laying hands on anybody because I'm not sure of, of, of myself. And I, I'm just being transparent here so you all can be mad at me or whatever you want to do. But I'm just being honest with you. Just, you know, you go through a few tragedies and watch some things happen, and you got to work that out. we got to work out our own salvation. When I'm telling you these things, even in church, I'm not telling you like you need to do it and we haven't done it. There's things that we have to do. We all live that way. But I remember the first prayer cloth that came back and somebody got healed. I thought, this is all right. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm glad for all the stack that we have. Just Acts chapter 19, I'm so thankful for it. But he said, you're starting to rest upon something that makes it easier for you. He said, I want you to get back to laying hands on the sick. I want you to get back to seeing people made strong and raised up. Come on, there's just something God wants to do through the body, through this place. There's many things that we're going to have to see about that, that purity, not allowing offense in, discounting what happens today and not picking it up and carrying it around till tomorrow because God wants vessels ready and meet for the master's use. He wants to release healing power. All right. So I had to get that in because I told you three more scriptures and I need to read those. Isaiah chapter 53. Did Jesus pay for our healing when he paid for our sin? Praise the Lord. And we're just going to prove to you by Scripture, not by opinion, that he did. So verse 4, Isaiah chapter 53, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Many translations say he has borne our sickness and our pain. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement or the price necessary for us to have peace with God was upon him. In other words, right here, he's talking about paying for our transgression and our sin. But right in the same breath, and he says, and by his stripes, we are healed. We are healed. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sin in his own body on the tree that day. And it, it echoes Isaiah that says, And by his stripes we were healed. 103rd Psalm. Psalms 103. You got to love Psalms 103. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. I like the psalmist. Sometimes your soul doesn't want to bless God. But your spirit, man, has to say, come on, snap out of it. We're blessing the Lord right now. He says, why would we bless the Lord? We don't feel like it. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And this is why. Because we cannot forget all of his benefits. See, when your soul gets in a mood, 
it forgets everything that God has done. When your soul gets in a mood, it starts to say, why don't you ever do anything for me? Why is my life this way? But when your soul has to bless the Lord, it starts to remember all that he's done and all that he's doing to counteract what the enemy's trying to do to capture your soul and keep you from the benefits of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Listen, these are some of the benefits. He who forgives all your iniquities. Oh, he didn't even change verses. And who heals all your diseases. Come on, when he forgave your iniquities, it opened up healing for all your diseases. What the work that he did on the cross in redemption wasn't just to forgive you of sin, but to break the power of sin and its effects upon your life. And as I said in the beginning, I believe one of the most insidious things that the devil has done is to bring sickness and disease upon the human body. Why? Because God says that when we're born again, that this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, he didn't plan on coming in to a broke-down house. He healed all of our diseases. That this house, this temple, would be strong, would be fully furnished, would be a place where he dwelt and he could be carried from place to place, just as the tabernacle, they moved him from place to place. We carry the anointing and we carry the presence of God from place to place in this house, this earthly tent, this earthly tabernacle. God doesn't want to live in this earthly tabernacle and have us saying, I don't know how God lives here. I'm afflicted. I'm broken down. I'm sick and I'm diseased. No, he came in and forgave your iniquities, opened up an avenue for him to live in and healed all of your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Listen, if you want a long life, your mouth has to be filled with good things. Come on, he says, I fill your mouth with good things so that, come on, your talking can make you old fast. <laughs> Man, I remember, I, I, I just remember, you know, people being coming 35 years old, and they're like, my life is over. I thought when I was 35, I'd be prosperous and have enough money and stuff, and here I am, still just working the same job. My God, I'm getting old. We hear ourselves say that, right? We see somebody, some of the, these kids that have been around, you know, and they're getting married and having kids, and we say this, oh my God, that makes me feel old. Well, you have what you say. Now we're getting into people's business. Come on, he says this. He said, listen, he satisfies your mouth with good things. In other words, when we understand this, God puts good things in our heart because what's in our heart comes out of our mouth. So he puts good things in our heart so that our mouth will be satisfied with good things so that our energy or our youth will be renewed like the eagles. Your strength. Verse 6, the Lord executes righteousness justice for all who are oppressed. We'll talk about that, all who are oppressed. The anointing destroys every yoke. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Glory to God. It says right here in the 103rd Psalm, Isaiah 53, other scriptures that we'll look at. And when he redeemed your life from destruction, shed his blood to forgive your sin, provided healing for your body. It's just as much in redemption, healing your body as the forgiveness of sin. Amen. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the healing power of God. I thank you for what you have planned for the days to come, for this generation. I thank you, Lord, that there is healing available and the power of the Lord is present to heal. Help us to understand that as we understand you and redemption, 
that we will know that wherever we go, the presence of the Lord goes with us. That where we go, there will be power present to bring healing, deliverance, and freedom. I thank you, Father, for this congregation being anointed by the Spirit of the living God. As, as we begin to understand and know the will of God, there's an anointing and a grace that encompasses our life, that follows us wherever we go, that is present with us. As we understand the word of God concerning that, just as the disciples, as you left them, and you're no respecter of persons, you said that you went with them, confirming your word with signs following. As we embrace your word and we believe it, as we go forth, you will be present with us, and the power will be present with us to confirm your word with signs following that people will know that you're alive from the dead, that through the church you're doing exactly what you said you would do, establishing the kingdom of God, growing your church, delivering people from their sin and the destruction of the enemy. You are alive in your church right now today to destroy the works of the enemy. And so we thank you, Father, for revelation knowledge increasing. As we have revelation knowledge, grace comes to us, faith is built, and we begin to walk more and more in the power of the living God, overcoming sin, its effects, and its consequences, and living in a newness of life where all the blessings of God are coming upon us and overtaking us. I declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. We'll say this as we go. What God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great week.